Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Patricia, for leading the meeting so brilliantly. Wow. And the worship team. That was amazing, Aaron and Jane and all of the team. And uh, I don't know if you know, but the, the amazing champion on the drums, Ned, who's one of my spiritual sons, Kate and I's spiritual sons, and we're very proud of him, uh, he was the very first member of this church. He's been a member of this church for over 13 years. And uh, he married one of our spiritual daughters that we, he really, she really is more than a spiritual daughter. She almost is a daughter, almost that adopted daughter you were talking about, Patricia. Did, was it Rosie? <laughs> oh. So Rosie came from Canada and met, came down to intern with Kate and I and met Ned and uh, the rest is history. They now have two amazing boys and isn't God good? He's so good. Ah, Kate and I had just come back. That's my wife, Kate. Kate, stand up and say hi to everybody. That's my wife, Kate. And uh, Kate and I went off on vacation and for the last two weeks, that's where we've been. And uh, we were resting somewhere in the sunshine for 14 days. And we haven't done that for 27 years um, because we've been married 30 years this August. And our eldest daughter, she's 27, she's married to Aaron, who is leading worship this morning. And uh, it's hard to imagine, well, she's not quite 27, she'll be 27 in February. It's hard to imagine that we have a 27-year-old daughter, but, um, and our other two daughters, and all three of them are now married, and so we're empty nesters for the first time since we were first married. And, uh, <clears throat> and you know, we managed to, for the first time, go fully, fully on vacation. And we just lay there in the sunshine. Thirteen days I lay in the sunshine doing nothing else but getting this amazing body, getting as brown as I could get it. And um, about eight days in, I was like, Lord, is this okay? <laughs> and I began to get in touch that I still have some performance issues. So I was like, oh, Lord, you know, I'm... I mean, is this okay? Like, I've been just lying here for eight days, doing nothing. And am I still pleasing to you in that condition? You know, like, doing nothing? Do you still really love me? And, I mean, I haven't been involved in any work. Do you really still love me? I don't, haven't even been loving up on my kids. Do you still really love me? Haven't been loving my wife that well, even though we're on vacation. Do you still really love me? And I haven't really f heard your voice and felt your presence for eight days. Just felt the sunshine on my body. Is this okay? You ever had those moments? If not, you're not taking enough vacation. <laughs> and as I'm lying there, I said to the Lord, you know, I'd really like to feel your presence. And Holy Spirit, I know that you're on the inside of me because I'm in Christ Jesus and Christ is in me. But I'd really, really, really love just a small sign of just your presence because I'm longing for your presence. And I just really need to know that you love me as I am, not for what I do. And I opened my eyes like this. 
And right next to me, on the sand, underneath the palm trees, within a hand's reach, I could have reached out and touched it, was a white dove. A living dove. And it walked around behind my chair and walked on this side. And then it looked at me with, my kind, with its kind eyes. It just looked at me. Sat there for a while, I'm looking at it. And then it flew away. I was like, man, that was the coolest thing ever. Got goosebumps all over me and it's sunning. There, and then I thought about it afterwards. I wondered if it might have been a pigeon. But nevertheless, even if it was a white pigeon, it just was a good moment, okay? Don't ruin it. Okay, I want to talk with you about one of the most powerful, powerful keys to our relationship with our Heavenly Daddy. I want you to notice that I chose my words carefully when I said, Heavenly Daddy. See, when we gave our lives to Jesus, we were instantly rescued from where we were born in Adam, which was instead of being where God originally created Adam to be, which was the garden in his presence, because Adam had not reached out and eaten of the fruit of the tree of life and become one with the tree of life himself, who we know is Jesus. Instead, Adam and his wife Eve stepped out of that realm of grace and ate the fruit from the tree that they were told by God, you, must, you can eat of any of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but you must not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good, and light, of good and evil, because in the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And in the moment, that's the first law that was ever given to humanity. And you and I were all in Adam when God gave that law to Adam, because he gave it even before he created Eve out of Adam. And all of us, including Eve, we were all in Adam. And we need to understand that, which is why uh, theologians call it the original, the doctrine of original sin. It's why we need a savior. It's why every baby that's born, even though they look like they're perfect, just like our eldest daughter or our middle daughter and our youngest daughter, when they were first born, they, would, they just look perfect. But by the second week, we realize they're not perfect. Actually, I told a little lie. By the second day. And, yeah, and so... My, my brother said something this. What did he say then? And then you realize that you definitely weren't perfect and you gave birth to someone who, wasn't imper who was not perfect. Correct. And so we understand that this is the doctrine of original sin. And, and the reason why we, all of us, were born into sin is because all of us came from a realm of grace where we were created in Adam a realm of love, a realm of rulership, a realm of blessing and favor, and we became lawbreakers because Adam broke the law of God and we broke it with him. And ever since then, 
All of us have been every single human being who's ever lived, except our Savior Jesus. We've all been lawbreakers, and so death has come to all. But I'm so thrilled to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in Christ Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have forgiven us and sent Jesus, who was willing to come on the most magnificent mission of salvation and redemption and ascension and glorification, Jesus came and was born of a woman, was made in the likeness of sinful flesh, was born amongst us, yet he himself never ever once sinned, was not born of the seed of Adam, but was born by the Holy Spirit. Though he was human in every way because the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and Jesus' earthly ancestry, he was a man just like us. Now, when he lived on earth for 33 years, manifesting the Father, manifesting and bringing the kingdom, showing us the supernatural power of God unto salvation, and then ultimately dying the death that we deserve, giving for the first time in all of history a perfect man, a perfect body, dying on a cross. Perfect blood was spilled so that that blood could cover all the imperfect human beings that have ever lived for those who believe. And he paid the price so completely and so fully. But it's easy for us. See, at that time when he lived on earth, the hard thing, the impossible thing for every other human being around him was to believe that this man was God. For us, now on the other side of his death and burial and resurrection, ascension and glorification, it's really hard for us to believe that this God was actually a man just like us. But we need to understand that in order to rescue us from death, God the Father knew we could not rescue ourselves. No amount of our own righteous works would ever be perfect because we've already we already are a tainted life. And it needed a perfect man, a perfect human to come and save us. And I'm so ever so glad to tell you that perfect man is Jesus Christ who came into this world. He's fully God, yet he became fully man. And the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. And that is what we all are. We've all become sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, Galatians 3, 26. But we have to understand that in order to rescue us, Jesus had to be born under the law, as the scriptures say, and fulfill the requirements of the law, which, by the way, are impossible for any of us to fulfill. James 2, verse 10, James summarizes it and says, if anybody wants to be justified by the law, you must keep the whole law. And if you break just one law, you're guilty of breaking all the laws. You know what that means? It means every one of us in this room are guilty of murder. We're guilty of adultery. We're guilty of every single conceivable sin that's out there according to law being broken. The perfect law of God being broken. Why? Because if you break just one law, if you tell one little white lie, if you shave the truth just a little bit, you know, for convenience, 
just, if that was the only thing you ever did, and apart from that, you were perfect, you've broken the whole law. You're guilty of murder. You're guilty of every conceivable thing that the world's ever committed, which is why we needed a savior. And I'm so glad that Jesus paid the price that we couldn't pay, giving himself after having lived a perfect life, tempted in every way, yet was without sin. He paid the price in full by giving his own spotless life and spotless blood. And the Bible tells us in uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, it says that he offered up his blood by the Spirit. He offered up his blood by the eternal Spirit to God. And that blood has paid the price in full, everybody. And not only has he paid the price in full and given us eternal life, the reason we have eternal life is that he became one with us so that we, in, in our death and sin and death, so that we could become one with him in his resurrection. And because the Father raised him from the dead, he raised us from the dead, and he's now seated us, having ascended with Christ. We are now seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all principality, power, rule, and authority. We are in the heavenly places. Is Ephesians 2 verse 6, restored to the throne that always God desired to belong to humanity. We now in Christ Jesus are seated with Jesus, the eternal man who's eternally God on the throne. And we're in this place of grace. And in this place of grace, all that belong to us in Christ Jesus has been restored. The most the greatest thing of all is our relationship with his Father. In fact, in Christ Jesus, when you gave your life to Jesus, you were probably taught that by believing in Jesus, you have eternal life. And that is true. You have eternal life. But to be satisfactorily taught the gospel of Jesus Christ is to understand that that eternal life that you have is a person. His name is Jesus. He is eternal life. And you are now in him. And because he lives, you live. And here's the most beautiful thing that I love so much. Not only have we been given eternal life, but eternal life is to know the Father and the Son. It's to be given Jesus so that in our union with him and his union with us, we now have the capacity, I'm talking about experiential capacity, not just theological capacity, but experiential capacity to know the Father and to know the Son. I love what Roland Baker says. The good news of the gospel is that you and I, in Christ Jesus, have actually been given the very person of the Holy Spirit who is the eternal relationship between the Father and the Son. Let that just sink in for just a moment. That eternal relationship of love between the lover and the beloved, between the Father and the Son, who is the Holy Spirit, the love that's eternally flown from the beloved to the lover and the lover to the beloved, that person of the Holy Spirit, there's the relationship himself of love between the eternal Father and the eternal Son, and he's been given to you so that you can daily, moment by moment for all of eternity, experience that relationship. 
Thank you. Thank you. That's good right there. And you know what? That'll nail every religious spirit that there is out there. Because it can only come as a gift from God. So, all that to say, why do we not walk in extravagant blessing constantly? Excuse me. It's my second, my second sermon, okay? Why is it that we don't just, why is it that we don't experience constantly this magnificent, glorious joy? The joy that comes from knowing that we're standing in the presence of God with exceeding joy constantly. And that he's able to keep us in that presence with all that joy in our hearts forever. Why are we not living the most extravagant, extraordinary, constantly blessed lives experientially? Why not? And the answer is in, chapter, in Mark chapter 11 and verse 25. And I want you to turn to that because I want to open up a key to you. I'm, I want you to know that when I say it's because of this, it could be a few things. But I'm sure when you read this, you will agree with me that for sure it's this to some degree. Mark chapter 11 and verse 25. And whenever. When? Sorry, when? Oh, whenever. So when, when is whenever, whenever? Right. So without exception, on all occasion and at all times, whenever, you stand praying. If you have anything against anyone, who? Oh, anyone. Oh, you mean anyone? Like anyone? Anyone? Like anyone as in each other? Like anyone as in my wife? Like anyone as in my husband? Like anyone as in my, ch my children? My best friends? My colleagues? Presidents that I like or don't like? Political parties that I don't like or like? Churches that I like or don't like? People of other religions that I like or don't like? People of other skin colors that I don't like or don't like or don't like? People of other cultures that I like or don't like? You mean anyone? You mean my university lecturer? You mean like anyone, anyone? Whoa! That's a lot of anyone's. You mean like anyone as in me? As in myself? You mean when I hold things against myself, anyone? You know what that looks like. The feelings of shame, self-hatred, the feelings of deep upset with ourselves when we goof up, when we do things that we know we should have done better. When we end up injuring ourselves because we didn't take proper care and now we're down on ourselves and we're hobbling along, mad with ourselves for what we've done to ourselves. 
You know what it's like when we're, you know, in our socially sophisticated circles, and then we go and tweet something, or we go and Facebook something, or we go and Instagram something, and it wasn't quite right, you know? It just wasn't quite, yeah, right, you know? And we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I let my belly fat hang out like that. And we're just mad with ourselves. Or maybe in our socially sophisticated circles, we say something that was the truth because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we're normally just so good at keeping it under control, but something slips out and we say something hurtful that we didn't mean that we really meant, but we really didn't mean it. And now we're all mad with ourselves that we said something we meant, I mean, didn't mean, and everybody knows it that we didn't mean that we meant it. We're mad with ourselves. And I'm just being, I, I'm kind of like being somewhat frivolous, but I want you to know that there are things that we've done that we're so deeply and profoundly ashamed of that if I was to ask each one of you, myself included in this room, to come up and share the deepest, darkest, nastiest secret of things that we have done, you would practically die thinking about doing that, especially when it's live on the internet. Come on, let's get real and get honest. Because we've all done things, haven't we, that are profoundly and deeply sinful one way or another. But I just told you that Jesus has forgiven us from all of that. And yet at the same time, what is it, having been brought up here into this realm of grace, that we walk around hoping that our worst nightmare will never be exposed. And not only that, we constantly are mad with ourselves for doing it. Whenever, 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 whenever we get the memory of it, we immediately start downing on ourselves. Or conversely, when it wasn't us but somebody else hurt us, whenever we remember it, we instantly are down on them. And not only that, but we get down on God himself. And we have the very same issues with God. And you say, what? No, I don't. Yes, we do. Because every time something happens that's outside of our control, the very first person that we blame subconsciously or consciously is God. You say, really? Yep. What does it sound like? God, if you really love me, how could you let that happen to me? For me, for years, God, if you really love me, how come my brother died when I was little? How come I didn't spend my life growing up with Andrew, my brother? If you really love me, how could you let my little brother die in Nigeria? My parents were missionaries, gave their whole life, and within Two years of being in Nigeria, three years of being in Nigeria, you allowed their son to die? What kind of a God are you? Have you discovered yet that sad things happen to really amazing people, including yourself? And when those sad things happen, 
We get mad with God without even barely realizing it. We harbor resentment. We get mad with others when they hurt us. We get mad with ourselves when we hurt us. We get mad with God when He hurts us. We get mad with situations when situations hurt us. And what happens? We grow from this realm and we go back down to this realm. And we demand justice. You see, because in this realm, this is the realm of the law. This is where justice exists. And according to the law, the law is based on justice. But I've got some good news for you, everybody. Mercy is better than justice. The Bible tells us that in James chapter 2, verse 13, where it says that mercy triumphs over justice. In fact, the very reason we were here in the first place in this realm of grace that James talks about falling from grace when we demand justice, the reason we could even be in this place of mercy, in this place of grace in the first place is because God had mercy on us and brought his son to us and brought us to himself in his son. It's called mercy. And the whole point about mercy is mercy's only mercy if you don't deserve it. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting everything that you don't deserve. That's the difference between grace and mercy, if you've ever wondered. Thank you. you thank you. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. And then he gives the why. So that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your sins, your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses or your sins. Everybody say, Ooh, I, I, I don't care which way you look at that. If you look at it from the north, the east, the south, the west, that's not good. If you look at it from above, below, round the sides, there's no way you can look at that and it'd be good. And here's the thing. You cannot receive mercy for yourself while you're demanding justice against everybody else. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to read a powerful, powerful parable that Jesus gave. Now, as we read this, who did Jesus say would not forgive us if we didn't forgive? Who? Who was it? Right. Interesting I had a thought this morning as I was preparing that I've never had in my entire life, and I've preached on forgiveness and meditated on forgiveness for 21 years. I've practiced forgiveness for 21 years. When the Holy Spirit convicts me, and it takes the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to convict me because I'm not always aware of my unforgiveness. But what occurred to me was this. 
When Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you, he could have said, neither will God forgive you. He could have even said, neither will I forgive you. After all, he was God. He was the Son of God. He could have said, neither will the Holy Spirit forgive you. But he didn't. He said, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. What does that mean? I've never had this thought in my life. It means that the greatest block to us coming into a greater revelation experientially of the Father heart of God, of God's Daddy's heart towards us. I'm talking about daily experience of that. The greatest hindrance to that is unforgiveness. What does that mean? That means if we can't feel the presence of the Father, if we're not walking in His approval, if we don't experience His unconditional, manifest, physical, tangible love constantly every day, maybe, just maybe, it's because there's some unforgiveness in our hearts. Look at it another way. If that's what it is, that's really easy to fix. But we've got to come into alignment with heaven in our will. And folks, we're right now discovering the love and power of God as a church. We're, we're experiencing that right now. But let me tell you something. God's got so much more for us. And the thing that's holding it back is our collective unforgiveness in our own individual hearts. People are like, oh, no, revival. The key to revival is this. The key to revival is that. The key to revival is the other. If only we do this. If only we do that. If only we do the other. Let me tell you something. Revival is when you walk in love. Ephesians 5 verse 2, walk in love, Paul says. Another translation, live in love. Live in love. In Toronto, a church that's experienced revival for 27 years, sustained revival, nightly meetings, year after year after year for 12 years, every single night apart from Mondays after the first six months, Mondays were given as a day off. Thousands coming every single night to our church in Toronto. We were in revival. History has recorded that it was one of the greatest revivals. And what was written at the back wall in that room? Walk in God's love and give it away. Ultimately became to Toronto and the world. Simply put, the, the Christian life is so easy so phenomenal because it's supernatural, it's his life, not ours, that we could say, what does it mean to be a Christian? A follower of Jesus, what does it mean? A believer in Jesus, what does it mean? It means to walk in God's love and give it away. To walk in God's love and give it away. When it's so easy, why is it so difficult? Because there's a problem so often between us and the God we're walking with. And the issue is our own unforgiveness. It's when we're holding on to something. Now, let's just quickly get into Matthew 18, reading from verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother Andrew? I'm adding brother Andrew. When he sins against me and I forgive him up to seven times? I mean, Peter's really stretching it here. And Jesus says to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That's a big number for a fisherman. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he'd begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him that owed him 10,000 talents. I want you to notice Jesus uses the story of a master and servants. If he can use a story of master and servants to speak to us, how much more now that we've been rescued from being servants and now become sons ought we by the Holy Spirit to be able to understand what he's saying here. He owed him 10,000 talents. That is multi-million dollars, is what most commentaries say. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded him that he be sold with his wife and children and that all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, please, have patience with me. I promise I'll pay you. I promise you. Please, please have mercy on me. And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. I want you to notice a key to forgiveness is putting yourself in the shoes of the other person and allowing compassion to rise up and touch your heart. After all, there's not a single perfect human being on earth right now, and it is probably likely that those imperfect beings have a reason why they've hurt you. And when we can tap into an imperfect person has just hurt me, an imperfect person, maybe it's the hurt that they've experienced that's actually at the root of why they're hurting me. And that gives us the ability to be moved with compassion. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. Release him and forgive him the debt. But that servant went out. Hmm. Hmm. Sarah, can you hold my... Sarah, can you hold... Sorry, I'm using her nickname. Family. Could you stand up and just hold this for me so that I can read it? But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. Hey, you, come here. This servant owed him a few hundred denarii, which is about a thousand bucks. And he laid his hands on him and he took it by the throat, saying, pay what you owe me. Pay what you owe me. And he would... And so his, his fellow servant fell down at his feet. Thank you, Murray. Can you do that again? I enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> the servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me. Have patience with me. And I will, give, I will pay all back. And I will pay all back. And he would not get up. And he went and threw him into prison until he should pay him all back. And so when his fellow, thank you, Sarah. And so when his fellow servants, when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. I want you to know, everybody, okay, that when we are hurt by someone else, and we go and we share with somebody else how badly we've been treated by another person, I want you to know that that other person in their deepest heart of hearts is not really thinking to themselves, oh, there, there, how awful, that's terrible. They're actually having to deal with the fact you just slimed them. I know that because I've slimed other people. When I've gone and poured out my 
horrible story about how so-and-so's treated me or how terrible life is and so on and so forth. And I'm thinking that they're going to be, like, blessed by that. No, they're not blessed. They might look like they're on my side and so on, but they're going to go away. And they're either going to take my offense, which often happens, by the way, some of the most powerful unforgiveness that we can harbor in our hearts comes not from things that people have done to us, but things we hear about that have been done to people that we love or people that we feel sorry for. Without exception, everybody, unforgiveness is unforgiveness, no matter who the subject of it is. And he says this, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Just as I have mercy on you? And his servant, uh, sorry, and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And then verse 35. This is not Duncan Smith. This is Jesus. Speaking the eternal word of God because he's the eternal word himself. Verse 35, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses or sister her trespasses. Listen, I, I want to bring out before we finish the connection between your heart and daddy God's heart. And it's in our heart that we're to forgive. And why does Jesus say that? It's because he's saying, he's reminding us all that this relationship that we have now in the Trinity where we're the beloveds in the beloved in the love of the lover is a heart relationship. It's a heart. We're to love God with all of our heart first. God is a heart God. And when we refuse to forgive, notice that I had to come down to deal justly with Murray who owed me a small amount of money. I had to step out of this place where I'd been forgiven everything and I had to step down into this place of the law again and forgive this little, and excuse me, and get angry and demand justice for this little thing, even though I'd been given this gigantic gift of grace. But the problem is, is that trapped under the realm of the law by my demand for justice exposes me to the other nasty person that's under the law trapped, Satan himself and all of the demons, which is why they have legal grounds when we walk in unforgiveness to persecute us and torture us and demand justice happens to us and we reap what we sow from all our nasty judgments and everything that we wanted against that person who hurt us or everything that we wanted against ourselves or everything that we wanted against God comes on us a hundredfold. In fact, unforgiveness is like pouring, I heard one person once say, unforgiveness is like pouring a glass of poison with the names of all the people that you're upset with, including yourself, maybe including God, all the people, maybe a particular 
um, race of people, a particular culture, a particular political, political party, whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, that name is on that glass. And you're pouring it filled with poison and hoping they'll all drink it when in reality you've spent your life drinking it until you're willing to smash it, let it go, and give them a gift of forgiveness. Let's stand, everybody. We are about to enter into a season of unprecedented glory. God spoke to me out of Exodus 33 and 34. And there was a progression. I'm sending you up with my angel. No, Lord, please don't send us up from here without your presence, Moses says. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You'd think that that was enough, but Moses said, now, Lord, if you're really pleased with me, show me your glory. And the Lord showed me that that is the progression. First, my presence. When you desire, well, actually, he says, show me your ways. First, when we come into the ways of God, we come into the presence of God, then we enter into the rest of God, then we're poised and positioned and ready for glory. We may not have realized it, but God pressed the reset button with this whole situation with the pandemic and everything else. He's always at work and he's good and he's Lord and he's sovereign. He's got a perfect plan. And his perfect plan is that he's actually getting, ready, getting us ready for realms of glory we never even imagined could possibly happen to human beings. He showed us his ways. His presence is with us. Now he's teaching us to enter into rest. Why? Because he's about to manifest his glory. But we will not experience that. We literally have the power to prevent ourselves from experiencing that glory of the Father by this one thing, holding resentment in our hearts, holding offense in our hearts. Did you know that an offense can never, ever, ever be taken? Did I say that right? Yeah, I meant, sorry. I knew, I knew that didn't sound right. An offense can never, ever be given. Your offense in your heart wasn't given. You took it. So right now, let's just get in touch. I want you to close your eyes. Everyone in this room, just out of respect for each other, out of honoring one another. Because I want to ask a question that I want only heaven to see the answer for and myself on the platform. If you know, as I've been talking, that there's someone that you need to forgive, whether it's yourself or a friend or a family member, husband or a wife or a pastor or another church or a political party or whatever it might be, whoever it might be that's disappointed, hurt and caused offense, I want you to get in touch with that. And if that's true of you, I just want you to raise your hand. Let's lift it up to heaven. Oh my, all across the room. You can put your hands down now. So many of you. Now I want you to say this with me. You see, Jesus said, if, unless you forgive from your heart. He didn't say, unless you forgive from your head. He said, unless you forgive from your heart. 
The head forgives. You can look at me now. The head forgives more easily than the heart. You see, because the head is inclined to get ahead of itself. And the head says, oh, I forgive you, without actually counting the cost, without taking into account. I want you to notice that the master took account of what the first servant owed him. The first thing that we need to do when we come into God's presence to forgive, when we're standing in prayer, and by the way, standing in prayer, I think the times that we stand in prayer the most is when we're worshiping. And in that place of worship and prayer, when we realize we have something against someone, the first thing we need to do is tell God exactly how painful it really, really was. Literally go through it before him and tell him, God, it really hurt when they said that. I'm really disappointed and I'm really angry. He's okay with that. And then you come to him and say, Lord, but the truth is, I didn't re react well to that. Please forgive me. Just take a moment right now and tell him. Say this with me, Heavenly Father. Say that loudly with me, Heavenly Father. The truth is, I've been really hurt. And just tell him now how you've been hurt. Take a moment. I've hurt myself. I've been hurt by others. I've blamed you as if it was you that hurt me. Please, God, these are, this is the truth. Just tell him. Now say this with me. But Heavenly Father, in the midst of my hurt, I've not reacted well. I've reacted in resentment, in anger, in blame, in bitterness, unforgiveness. I've withheld my heart from you and from others. It's broken relationship. And I ask your forgiveness. Please forgive me. Please wash me in the precious blood of Jesus. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness, from the sin of unforgiveness. I just take a moment and let the precious blood of the Lamb wash you. I want you to picture that person, yourself and the Lord. And I want you to simultaneously release a gift of forgiveness, if you so wish, upon all those who for whatever reason you feel owe you anything. Say this with me. In the name of Jesus, I choose to forgive. I give a gift they don't deserve. Of course, in the case of God, we're not giving him a gift we do, he doesn't deserve. He's never hurt us. But Lord, I release you. Say that with me. Lord, I release you from any blame or my own unforgiveness out of ignorance. And just say the name of the person under your breath that you want to forgive. Say, I forgive you. I release you. And I bless you. Now put your hand on your heart. Say your name with me. I'm going to say, Duncan, you say your name. And say, I forgive you. Duncan, I forgive you. You owe me nothing. Cancel the debt. I release you in Jesus' name. And just release God right now if you need to. All right, well done. And say this with me. Heavenly Father, I open my heart to you. Reconnect me to your daddy's heart experientially. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, I'm going to pray over you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over every work of the evil one in the lives of every person in this room. I cancel all the power of Satan, the accuser, in the name of Jesus, off of every person that's forgiven, others themselves, or release God. And in the name of Jesus, I declare that you are free and I declare that you are blessed. I bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. I release mercy to you. I draw you into the place of grace. I release tangible, experiential love from the Holy Spirit over each of you. I release blessing into your lives, your relationships, your finances, into every single facet of your lives. I declare you blessed in the name of Jesus. And we command everything that the enemy's stolen to be given back to you seven times. In Jesus' mighty name, we declare you blessed to be a blessing. Amen. God bless you.